Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Buddy Blake with Remax in Wilmington, North Carolina. Last year, he closed 268 transactions with a total sales volume of $46 million. His average sales price was $174,000, of which 35% were buyers and 65% were sellers. He operates a team with 14 members, 6 buyer agents, 1 listing agent, 3 on-site sales agents, 1 listing coordinator, 1 admin data entry, one new homes manager, and one team leader. Buddy Blake is the team leader of Buddy Blake Real Estate Experts. He has been an agent for 14 years. He works the coastal market of Wilmington, North Carolina. In this call, Buddy talks about new construction, developers, and listing homes for builders, helping builders outsource their sales force to you, and how you can get paid assisting developers and builders from land acquisition to finished product, how to drop all print advertising in newspapers and magazines, and generate leads online for less, becoming the local real estate expert by writing a book with a ghostwriter, how to triple your sales leads with the same marketing budget, a long discussion of the principles behind a guaranteed sales program, radio advertising to generate massive seller leads, that costs less than you think, profiting from celebrity endorsements, using internet marketing, including SEO, Craigslist, and free resources to generate a database of 40,000 leads, how to follow up with the 40,000 leads every week for only $250 per month, hiring a coach for your team members, his profit margin, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, buddy. Hey, Mike. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Buddy, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. I was in the retail business. Our family, uh, you probably don't remember, but it used to be called Curtis Mathis uh, Televisions and Entertainment. Um, We were in the TV and electronics business. My dad was when I was growing up, and we kind of went out into the video business. So we were, I was running seven video stores and, uh, you know, so before the blockbusters and Hollywood videos and all the big mega uh, ones came into the business. And um, so we kind of got it, you know, three, four dollars at the time. So uh, we had to do a lot of transactions and I've always approached, um, that's all I know is retail and that's kind of how I got into this. But I actually got into this business because of a bad experience with a real estate agent, to be honest with you. A friend of mine and I, um, he had a general contractor's license. This is when I was in the video business still. And um, I didn't have a license or never done real estate other than buying my own house. 
and he got his general contractor's license, and I had a credit line that I could use. So we went out and started doing a couple specs, um, just bought some cheap lots and you know built some $150,000 houses. And the person I had to work with, because it was a new home neighborhood, and they kind of forced you to work with the developer's uh, real estate agent, and what happened was, I mean, I never, literally, I never heard from her, never saw her, but she was getting 5 or 6% of, you know, of the, of the amount. She was actually making as much money as I was once we divided the partnership down. And I, I, I really looked at the situation, and I'm like, I can do this. And this is not $3 at a time, and this is not work until, you know, retail from, you know, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. every single night, seven days a week. And that's really kind of how I got in the business once the video business, the writing, you know, kind of got on the wall with the blockbusters and everything else that the small, you know, mom and pop, small regional chains were going to be pushed out. Um, you know, I, I didn't have anything else to do because I don't have a, I'm not a physician, I'm not a doctor, I have a college degree, but nothing in, nothing special. So I really don't have a skill set other than retail. So that's kind of how I got in the business, looking at somebody else that literally just kind of sat there and was making, you know, six figures in that at that time even back then in 97. And I was looking at the situation. I'm like, I can do that. So, uh, so that's kind of how I got into it. When you started up, did you start up full-time or part-time? I would say probably part-time for the first couple months. Just I was in the transition of uh, selling out the last of our video stores and, uh, and just getting out of that business. It took a while to break free and Unfortunately, I took some debt with me that I had to pay off, uh, which was, you know, part of the. I was starting from behind, if you will, uh, because uh, I didn't want to ruin my relationship with the bank. So I probably walked into the real estate business with about fifty thousand dollars of debt, bringing into it from other businesses that I had to work off as well. So, but I got into it full time pretty quickly, um, and there was no question it was a full time job. I mean, I saw that from the get go. Just the transition period was a little bit of part-time. When you got started, did you have a fast start or a slow start? Well, um, I didn't know any better, uh, so that was the good thing. I really didn't I, I, I didn't have any experience in real estate, so the good news is I didn't have any habits, and I didn't, I didn't really have anybody around me to tell me that you can't do that. I, I started with um, a Coldwell Banker franchise here in Wilmington with probably the most progressive owner that I've ever met. Um, and they had about 26, 27 agents at the time, very good culture. And uh, it was kind of hard to get on there because they really weren't looking for brand-new agents. They were more looking for experienced agents. But I went in. I didn't have a desk. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have duty. And finally, I just started going around finding anywhere I could. And I actually started my career sitting on site at a condominium new home subdivision that nobody else wanted to sit at because it wasn't selling. And I liked it because it gave me a nice furnished office and a nice place to work out of to start my business. Did things pick up quickly or were they kind of slow? Well, I started um, I started working my sphere of influence. I, I really bought hard into, at that time, Rick DeLuca, where you would send out, you know, four or five listings. You know, we have a new listing. I didn't have any listings, but I just borrowed the company listings, other agents. And I just started sending that in my sphere of influence. I would say, I mean, I got Rookie of the Year, which at that time, it didn't take a whole lot. But um, I started out pretty quickly, I would say. I mean, I think so anyway. How long have you been in the business? I've been in since 98, so 14 years. Do you recall how many homes you sold last year? 
Last year it was, uh, let me think about it, it was about 260-something, 268, I think. That's fantastic. And this year you're having a great year. I, I think you've gone past that number already. Is that correct? Yeah, we closed as of the end of August uh, 287 homes, and we expect to probably do around 350 this year. Your best year was even higher than that, wasn't it? Yeah, that was in the go-go days of the 6s and 7s. I did a little over 400 then, and uh, that was our biggest year. That wasn't my most profitable year, but it was my biggest year. That was early on in your career, and you were going for volume, and, and now you've learned how to squeeze out more profits. Is that correct? Well, I think we've all had to kind of learn how to, uh, you know, skin the cat as many different ways as we can. Buddy, you're in Wilmington, North Carolina. Where is Wilmington, North Carolina? We are right on the East Coast. Uh, We're about an hour north of Myrtle Beach, two hours east of Raleigh, but we're right on the beach. We have um, beach communities here, uh, but we're dead on the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, I can walk right down to the Intercoastal Waterway from where I'm sitting right now. Describe your current market. We're a kind of a destination market, if you will, uh, somewhat uh, resort. So we really we're not a market of jobs. We have we have the movie industry, GE, Corning, and a few other industries. But we're really we're where a lot of people move to to run their corporations in other parts of the country or world um, because we we have a very low taxes compared to most of the country, uh, and you can live here pretty nicely. Uh, our average price in our market is just under 200000 now. Um, our days on market average has probably come down about three months uh, total. We went from about eight months to about five months now. But if you really segment that down, under 500000 which is kind of the luxury market at, uh, price point beginning luxury in our market, uh, under five hundred, we're about four months and approaching into the three months of days on, uh, of supply. So, I mean, our market is definitely getting better. The REOs, we're not seeing nearly as many. Uh, Short sales, we're not seeing nearly as many. I don't, you know, it's not to say we won't have another run of them, but uh, we've been hearing that for a while, but we haven't seen it. If you were to look at its overall market right now today, what percentage do you think is REO and short sale versus traditional retail equity sales? I guess my best guess would probably be I would say thirty to forty percent, but it was it was up as high as probably fifty to seventy percent. So it's really transitioned. The inventory is shrinking. Time on the market is coming down. So things look like they're improving. Yeah, it is. I mean, we have a lack of inventory. We're a very small. We're the smallest county in North Carolina, but actually one of the most wealthy as far as per capita because we're right on the coast, and um, we have a very limited supply of land. So. You know, we're kind of running into a situation where just we just have scarcity built in, if you will. And there's a lot of pent-up demand. There's no, unlike a lot of places in the country that that people don't want to go to anymore because of jobs or whatnot. We have no lack of desire. It's just people have not been able to sell their houses in the Northeast, the Midwest, and places like that to make their you know their move to the coast. In your market, do you have a niche or a specialization? I think that's probably the best thing I never did is really specialized in any one thing. I've, I've seen agents in our market and across the country kind of get painted into a corner with being an REO agent, being a short sale agent, being a luxury home agent or a new homes agent. And we really never wanted to say that we only specialize in one thing. Now, with that said, 
the bulk of our business is the typical resale listing market. So we push a heavy guaranteed sale. That's pretty much our specialty. Uh, we guarantee to sell folks homes in 120 days, and we carry a good listing inventory. Our listing side of our business is significantly larger than our buyer side. Well, let's talk about that listing side. What are the different ways that you're bringing business into your listing side? You talked about your guaranteed sell program. Could you do us a quick favor, just kind of run through the ideas, and then we'll break them down in a minute. You've got a guaranteed sell program, and are you doing new construction? What else are you doing over there to generate business that's coming in on the listing side? Well, in the last, I guess, 18 months, we've been real fortunate. I mean, sometimes you you create your own luck, I guess. You just be the last man standing. But we, we actually got an account with uh, a bank, a regional bank that in the southeastern uh, United States, where we picked up uh, a few hundred listings in our uh, region. And that was real nice. And the funny thing is, one of the reasons we got it is because we're the only ones that really didn't have a negative situation with that bank <laughs> at any capacity. Any of the ownership of ours didn't have any negative uh hadn't had any bad experiences or been partners with anybody that did, if you will. So we were kind of the only man standing in town. So we got that, and that's been very good. Um, that's been very good during the transition time of the market improving. Now, new homes has been – that's usually about a third of our business. We do a you – know, we do a probably 100 to 150 units a year of new homes, uh, and we really, really, I think, do a very good job with it. We deal with some – large builders that typically are in-house, but they've had to change their models just because they can't afford to pay salaries and things like that when, you know, when their sales are one-fourth one of what they were. So we've kind of come in and created a nice hybrid working with these large builders, and we staff it, we do the marketing, uh, we do the Internet sites, we do, and we, you know, we kind of run it like we do general brokerage, and we go after leads really, really hard, our prospecting. Uh, on site, and that has been very good because you know you've had to you've had to look under every rock and every crevice to find uh, transactions in the last few years. Let's start breaking into each of these areas. Let's continue with the new construction. I think that's a real interesting area for people to to understand. You mentioned that you're selling anywhere from 100 to 150 units a year. Is that with one builder, with multiple builders? How many builders is that? We have three builders, and uh, we have probably two of them do about two-thirds of the business. Uh, I guess we each do about a third each. Uh, but, yeah, we have some large builders, and all of these builders are also developers, too, because the old days of a developer, you know, developing land, making money, flipping it to a builder, and the builder making money are gone. It's kind of the they're doing it all because there's no profit on, on all segments of that, uh, of that world right now. What's the difference between a developer and a builder? Well, a developer is the one that actually acquires the land and puts the infrastructure in and uh, develops the lots. And in today's world, no matter where you are, that's a person that's got to have some pretty deep pockets because you can't typically get any financing uh, on, they call it A&D, uh, development loans, you know, uh, acquisition and development loans. You can't get that from banks anymore. So typically you've got to have a deep-pocketed person that can go in buy the land with cash, develop it with cash, and then build houses. And so then the builders come in and take certain lots from the developer and build them out. Yeah, in some neighborhoods they do. Ours, uh, all of our builders do their own development too. So it's they don't resell the lots, but 
there are neighborhoods where you have builders come in and buy finished lots. And so you're working with three folks that are doing both. They're going out and acquiring the land, they're preparing the land, they're developing it, and then they're also building their own units on it. Do you have an exclusive agreement to list all of the properties of the developer? We have an exclusive agreement per neighborhood. For instance, um, some of these builders are in other markets uh, that we don't, that we just could not service in a good uh, well because they're out of our kind of geographic area. And then we also, with our builders, you know, one of the things we learned early on is just with sellers too. I mean, we do an easy exit with everybody. We basically say, you know, you can fire us at any time or we can fire you at any time, because I've found that if you put that out there, uh, hardly ever do you get fired. But if you don't put it out there, it gets to be, you know, they think that you're holding something over their head. You're getting exclusives in the neighborhood. How deep are you getting into the process with the builder? For instance, are you helping them acquire the land on the front end? Yes, in some cases we are. Uh, We've done a lot of that in the last two years, uh, just due to there's been a lot of We've actually helped builders put them in contact with various banks that are selling notes before it even goes to foreclosure and stuff like that, too. So it's been an interesting world. We can't make commission on helping folks buy notes, but that's been a really good way for good developers that have money to acquire property. The developer's going out and purchasing a note that's in default? Yeah, for instance, you have a bank. Let's say you got XYZ Bank, and they've got a $4 million note on a piece of property, and today's value of the land is probably a million. Well, what they'll do is they do not want to foreclose on it. Uh, There's a lot of reasons they don't want to foreclose on it, because they don't want to inherit what was done, what wasn't done, all the uh, permitting with the state and federal and local municipalities. So what they'll do is they'll shop and they'll market the note. I mean, it's not in the MLS or something like that. It's kind of put out there for the folks that have money, if you will. And they say, we will sell this note to you for $0.25, $0.30 on the dollar, um, but you got to deal with it. So that person will come in, they'll buy the note, and they'll do typically they'll do a friendly foreclosure or a deed in lieu of with the old developer, if you will, and move on. But they're buying it at $0.25, $0.30 cents of what the original note was. But really they're buying at today's market price and probably what it should have been before the run-up. The benefit to the investor is they're getting this property before it hits the courthouse steps in a foreclosure. So there's no competition for them, and the benefit to the bank, as you mentioned, is they don't want to go on the deed. They do not want to take over the rights of lots of things. For instance, homeowners association, taxes, uh, stormwater permits. They do not want to own any of those things because they don't really know what they are. They don't know what. I mean, that's just not their, what they do. You mentioned this is something that you don't get to participate in. You're not earning any fees, but you're building up a lot of goodwill. And I assume that the developer slash builder is going to work with you when they turn around to sell those lots and those homes. Usually it works out. I mean, obviously, certainly somebody could go. I mean, we don't have anything in writing that holds them to it. But uh, and, and, and the other side of it is I don't want to be receiving commission or have any representation in those transactions because when you buy them, there's a lot of loose ends that have to be cleaned up. I mean, that's part of buying it for a discount. You've got a lot of work to do. And so I don't want to have the... I don't want to have the liability from an agency standpoint to be involved with those deals. I mean, I guess I could make money on the front end and be greedy, but I've, I guess doing it for 14 years, I've learned that sometimes it's better to uh, not get a dime and look for the long-range dollar. So occasionally you're helping them purchase the land. How involved are you in the development of the land and the property 
Are you helping them figure out how large a lot should be or how it should be divided up? What is your participation with this developer builder? They typically have engineers and land planners that, you know, figure out what your density can be and things like that. But we really start from the standpoint of what is a product that will sell. What's the end product? Forget the front end. Forget the cost of the lot because it is what it is. Forget what it costs to develop it. What needs to be on the ground at the end of the day that will sell? So if it's, you know, single family, $200,000, you know, starter homes, then obviously they've got to build it for that. You're not talking about a huge amenity. You're not talking about anything exotic. But now if you're talking about a half a million dollar property, you're talking about, you know, some significant amenities you got to do. So, I mean, we really are extremely involved. I mean, matter of fact, before they even agree to do the deal, they'll ask us, what is the product that we should build and what do you think the sales absorption will be and what's the velocity of sales? How long do these projects typically take to turn from the time they acquire the land to the time you're selling the properties? What's the time frame for that? Well, I'll give you a couple examples. It depends on the size and it depends where they're at. I'll give you, for instance, there's a 24-lot neighborhood that was raw land uh, that the people, that the buyers, the developer went in, bought it, and they've got curb and gutter in in probably three months, and they will be ready to go, and they'll start some houses probably by the end of October so that we can start being ready right after the first of the year. So they can start to finish and have lots ready to start on in six months, if it's depending on the size of the neighborhood. But now i got another one that they're still doing due diligence on. It's probably going to take six to eight months to do the due diligence, and it's a 200-unit neighborhood, okay? But it's going to take six to eight months to do the due diligence, and then it'll take them six to eight months probably to have the first lot ready to start construction on. So if I'm adding that up right, you're looking at about a a year to a year and a half, maybe as fast as six months between start and actually having a product in the market. And so when you're back there at the beginning of the process with the developer and they ask you, what kind of property should we build here? You're using your crystal ball and trying to project out maybe six months, a year, 18 months and trying to figure out what the market's going to be like then. Is that correct? Well, it is, and we kind of do a, an ABC plans. I mean, basically, in a perfect world, if the market picks up, this is the product you can do probably, but let's plan on the safe side, you know, last resort, this is the product we need to do, which is typically starter homes or things like that, which, you know, even in a down market, they're going to sell. So you got to make your numbers work on the bottom end, and then anything else better than that, we can modify as we go. And then you always do a development. Typically, they'll do a development so that, especially if it's you know more than 100 units, where let's say that you get into a down market and you start with starter homes. You segment it out, roads and things, so that if all of a sudden the market shifts to a better market or a lower market, that you can move the next product into a new phase and a new section of that neighborhood. So in some of these neighborhoods that we've done with folks, I mean, they'll be... You know, you'll start off with $300,000 houses, and then you'll have to move down to 180000 but then you might jump back up to four hundred over five years. So, you, But they're all in their own little section, so you, know, you don't have somebody right beside, you, know, you don't have a starter right beside a 500000 What is the build-out phase? How long does that typically take? You, you just mentioned it could take as long as five years? Well, it depends. Uh, we've got one neighborhood... We're just finishing up. It was about 1,800 homes, uh, but it's been. Now we weren't involved all along, but we've been involved for the last couple of years. It's taken that developer. It's a golf course neighborhood, probably 12 years to 12 to 14 years. So, and then we've got another neighborhood. We're about halfway through. That's been in gear for about four years. It'd be about a thousand starter homes, 
and we're halfway through it. So we probably got another four to six years in there. To get back to where you started when we first started talking about new construction and builders, your competitive advantage here is that you've offered the builder to take over what they used to have as an internal sales force, and now it's an external sales force being contracted out to you. Are you having to pay your people salaries, or is everybody on a commission, or how are you covering those expenses that used to be handled by the builder? Well, what we do is it's kind of a, even though they're external, for instance, we sit down, all the site agents, our new homes manager, and myself once a week with each of the builders, and we go through, and it's about a two-hour meeting, we kind of go through where we're at, what we're doing, uh, the various contracts, the various uh, starts, and what's going on, and so we're really kind of working for them like employees, but uh, they don't have to pay a salary. We also handle all the marketing for them, Uh, for instance, Um, if we were to do uh, print advertisement, we place it, we buy it under our discounts, and then we bill them back for any marketing type. In other words, they pay a commission plus the marketing, whatever marketing we do. But in today's world, we've been able to save them. One builder we've got was spending over $100,000 a year on the newspaper and homes magazines, and we cut all of that out and actually doubled his sales by just simply going back to work in the leads that he already had, the people that had already visited, uh, you know, redoing websites and going after more of the, uh, you know, the online marketing, and got rid of the print and didn't, and we actually doubled his business. Now the market got better; that helps too, but it looks good to double his business. How are you being compensated by the builder? Is it all commission, or is there a fee? Yeah, what we do is we typically charge a builder. Uh, we charge him a fee, and then of course we offer a co-broke to buyers agents. And we put a full commissioned agent from our company or my team on site, and they're full-time. They work uh, five days a week. They work three weekends a month, and they get one weekend off. And then the, what we do is we work it out where the builder, they hire an hourly person that works two to three days a week to cover the off days for the on-site agent, but they are not licensed because if you work for the builder, if you're an employee of the builder, you do not have to have a license. You can talk about prices, you can talk about things. Now, they don't write the contracts up. Our agent, they'll make appointments for our agent. But, um, and that works real well because you don't have more than one agent fighting over sales, over whose it is. But it's pure commission what we get paid and what we pay our lead, our, our lead agent. But the builder pays the assistant. The on-site agent, you said they're working five days a week. I assume they're working over the weekend since that'd be a busy activity time. Is that correct? Yeah, they work all weekends except for one weekend a month they get off. So their five-day week, uh, what days are they taking off during the middle of the week then? Typically Thursdays and Fridays. Those are the slower days in real estate, in our market anyway. How did you get in with these builders? How did you initiate these contacts? Was it simply because you were a builder yourself? No, I was never a builder. I just pretty much financed two or three houses, and I would never be a builder again. Um, I just sell houses. You know, I will not be in a development business. I'm not going to be in the mortgage business, owning mortgage companies. All I'm going to do is sell houses. Um, I I really don't know the answer to that. Other than just over the years, you know, I've always I've always just gotten to know people and kind of de- you know got involved with it, and then they would call us. But now early on, I made sure that all the players that I wanted to deal with were. I do a Monday morning coffee, which is a large email every Monday. And they all get that, and they all see the stuff that we do. And, uh, you know, and the other side of it is they were trying to reduce their spending, and they look at us, and we're, you know, we're a real estate company that does no print advertising whatsoever. 
and they like that. You know, they're looking to save their money, and they sit down with us. How are you able to do this? How are you able to still, you know, be tops in your market as far as your team, and you're not spending any money on marketing? I'm like, no, we're spending a lot of money on marketing, just not in the places you're going to see it locally in the paper. So they basically came together uh, by happenstance. You weren't intentionally going out trying to work with builders. It just came to you through your sphere of influence. Is that correct? It did. I don't really know what happened to do it, but it just kind of happened. Um, just, I guess, by reputation, sphere of influence. And sometimes it's just, you're the, like I said, you're the only guy they hadn't tried. Well, let's do this. Let's talk about a different area for a minute. You mentioned your guaranteed sell program. I know a lot of people want to hear about that and, and figure out what's going on there. So tell us about your guaranteed sell program and how it works. Well, I mean, we offer a guaranteed sale program. We found that we started working with Matt Wagner at Radio and Television Experts years ago. And what we found was it's always been a hard angle to really get a mass number of sellers. I mean, it's not hard to generate a lot of buyer leads in today's world. It's pretty easy. You just spend some money here, do a little web stuff here, and you can generate hundreds and hundreds of leads. But it's hard to generate seller leads, and it's very difficult to generate them uh, you know, with with typical farming techniques, because your return on investment, for me anyway, it dilutes down to the point where you're really just working for the post office to some degree. Uh, but we started doing the radio ads and using a guaranteed sale. And basically, what we do is we tell people, and we certainly have limitations, that we'll you know we'll come in, we'll tell you what your house is worth, and we'll tell you a price before we list it of what we will pay you if it does not sell. And the way I do that is I have about four or five investors that come in, and they're going to buy it, and we tell people on the front end, like if you go to my website, buddyblake.com, you can go to sale, and you'll see a video where I explain it. Basically, an investor is going to buy a house for anywhere between 70 and 90% of the net value of a house. So they, they're going to buy it for rental, they're going to buy it for resale or whatever. And that doesn't fit for everybody, but for some folks, it's been a lifesaver just to have a ticket out. Did you say that these investors will buy 90 to 95% of fair market value? No, 70 to 90% of the net of the net value. That means after commissions are paid. That's interesting. 70 to 90% of the net value after the commissions are paid. I'm trying to figure out how that how that works after the commissions are paid. I'm missing something, buddy. Help help me understand that. All right, let's say it's a $100,000 house, you know, retail. That's what it ought to sell for. We run our comps, and that's what it should sell for retail. Well, basically what we would do is we'd say, Mike, I'll tell you what, and I'm going to use the low number to keep it even. I'm going to say, here's the deal, Mike. I will give you, I will give you 70, roughly $76,000, okay, which means I'm going to give you really 70000 because i still got to pay to resell this thing, so I'm going to take my commission off the top. So after you pay commissions is the amount that I will pay them. Oh, you mean to the seller? That's correct. That's correct. Okay, so the price that you're paying, well, your price that you're paying is $70,000. That's correct. You're offering them a $76,000 price, but you're, you've got a $6,000 commission in there, and so the net price to the seller is $70,000. That's correct. Okay, I got it now. And so, but who's buying the property? Are you buying the property or are your investors buying the property? I have bought a number of them. I've bought three over the last few years, and but most of the time I, I have an investment crew that buys them. They'll buy them all day long, 70 cents, you know, because most of these are three are, are nice single-family homes. For instance, 
we have certain areas we don't go to. We can't do beaches because on the beaches right now, it's just too volatile and you can't get financing on them. Uh, and then we don't do modulars or mobile homes or, or we don't do multifamily. But we do single family you know, with some stipulations. Do you have limitations on area and type of property? And we put that out there up front, too. In other words, they know before they, they can look at the video, look at everything. They know certainly before they call us, but they also, before they sign any listing agreement or anything, they know exactly what's, what the details are. That brings up a good point. I assume you have to have this all written out. Do you use a standard contract in your area and put an addendum on that, or do you have a attorney write up the contract for you because of all these peculiarities in this contract? We have an attorney that's prepared a uh, offer to purchase and contract. It's a contingent offer to purchase and contract that we will enter into. At the same time, we'd use a standard listing agreement, but we do not tie them together. But basically, we also give them the right to cancel the purchase agreement so that if they sell the house for more during the 120 days. So when you're talking to the seller, you're basically giving them a, a safety net. You're saying, hey, I'm going to try to sell your home in the open market, and if it doesn't happen, then you have this option to sell to me. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. Okay. And your objective is to try to get it sold in the market because they'll make more money and, and you won't have to go through all the headache of figuring out the rest. But if it doesn't, then, then they've got this ability to do something else. I assume the reason you're doing this is you're listing more homes. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. We generate a tremendous amount. of. I mean, very few people actually want to do the guaranteed sale, but their thought process is if you're being this proactive and aggressive and you're marketing this much and they're hearing the ads on the radio, uh, they, you know, they typically are going to go to the person that's moving. How many of these guaranteed sale programs do you actually put in place each year? Probably 10% of the listings that we take have a guaranteed sale on them. Now, that's dropped some to 10%. It was a little more. But with, we don't do short sales, obviously. We can't do those. Uh, so that has, you know, over the last couple years, it's made it drop down a little bit because a number of people were just, you know, upside down on their properties. Of the 10% of the listings, how many of those do you end up actually buying and how many actually just end up selling in the open market? I would say 98% of them sell in the open market. Because what happens, the other thing that by doing this program and offering it, even if they don't do it or do do it, it sets a realistic expectation on price because what we do is we basically, in this deal, we say, okay, we got 120 days to sell it. The first 30 days, we're going to take it at the top retail value according to comps. After 30 days, there's a built-in price reduction to bring it down to another level. And then after another 30 days, for the last 60 days, we get to market it for the same price that we buy for. It forces them to get their mind right on price. Let's use your example you had earlier. The The retail value was 100000 and you were going to agree to purchase it for 76000 including your commission at the end if things didn't work out. And so I assume that means you would start the first 30 days at 100000 Does that sound correct? Yeah, the first 30 days would be at $100,000. The, after 30 days, it would automatically move to, you know, hypothetically, 85. And then after the first, after that 30 days, uh, we would have 60 more days to market it at 76. And in that case, you're going to have a retail buyer pretty fast. Yeah, you, that's exactly. I mean, rarely do we ever get to that third stage. Typically, the second stage is where everything happens. Because you're already at a nice discount, maybe in this case, 15%. Exactly. You're, well, you're, I mean, you're at a good value. I mean, we give it 30 days. 
It's kind of like I'll try it your way for 30 days, and if that doesn't work, we're going to try it my way. Do you ever get resistance where the seller says, you know what, I, I really don't want to go from 100 to 85? Well, we do, but if we're going to put the risk out there to guarantee to sell the house, I mean, we kind of get to make the rules. In that situation, you would just remove the guaranteed sale and just leave it as a regular listing at the, the fair market value and let them try it that way? Is that what would happen? Yeah, because typically in that scenario, what you would see is you'll say, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Let's start at 119000 and then list, you know, and then halfway through it, we'll drop it to a hundred. I mean, that's kind of the typical mindset of a seller. But you already have your foot in the door. You're already talking to them now. You built a relationship. You've offered them this extra service if they want it, and they've they've decided not to take you up on it. But you're there, and you list the home at the one nineteen. Well, that's exactly right. And then sometimes what happens, especially in this market, what's happened is. We didn't realize that probably a year ago, year and a half, the appointments that we went on a year, year and a half ago are listed with one or two other agents and now are circling back and we're getting it. Unfortunately for the seller, we're getting it at a much less price than we told them back then. But we're getting the business because we're like, why didn't we just go with you to begin with? Forget the guaranteed sale. We should have just went with you because what you told us was right. We're getting a significant amount of, you know, we didn't intend it that way, but a significant amount of the appointments that we didn't get back then because of price or just, you know, they decided that we were kooky on the price and they weren't 150000 um, they're, they're circling back to us now. So you're getting a lot of residual business by offering this, this guaranteed sale. Let's finish this process just for people in their head. Let's say you do take a listing at uh, 100000 you They're in this guaranteed sale program. The first 30 days goes out at 100000 The next 30 days at 85000 The last 60 days is 76000 And for whatever reason, it doesn't sell. What happens on the 121st day? Then with the 30-day period starts of uh, the due diligence to get it closed. And then we close it. Either the investor or whoever or myself or whatever, we close it. And then we put it right back on the market. Uh, we either put it back on the market or they put it into a rental pool. Most of the investors have been putting them into a rental pool because the rental market's obviously quite good. So you have an additional 30 days at the end of the 120 days to to put the transaction together and close it up? Sure, because it still has to go through the same process of inspections and all those kinds of things. I mean, we reserve the right to inspect it just like any consumer would. Which means there could be a potential renegotiation if you find out that the roof is leaking and the foundation is cracked or there are other major problems. Is that correct? Yeah, if there's a structural issue. I mean, we've never seen a structural issue. I mean, we've never, a number of these times, we don't even, quite honestly, two of the three that I've bought, I just kind of walked through it with my home inspector that I use a lot, or one of them, and we just kind of walked through it. We didn't do a formal home inspection. We just closed it a couple weeks later. Buddy, what is the benefit of this guaranteed sale program? How much additional business do you think you're generating because you're offering it? Probably half of my listing business, my resale listings. Are coming in because of this program. They're asking about the program and and want a presentation on it. Mm, I would say a fourth of them ask about the program and want a presentation on the program, but half of them call because of the marketing. That's a neat program. Anything else you can tell us about the Guaranteed Sell program that someone should know before they jump into those waters? Well, I mean, you need to understand it. I mean, it's not something, you know, you need to be doing a significant amount of business and have the resources to back up what you say you can do. And the other thing is we did is we, we created a website called Guaranteed Sell, and it's S-E-L-L.com. 
there's a good number of agents around the country that also offer various types of guaranteed sales. So we kind of created a national non-branded, you know, it doesn't matter if you're with Remax, Keller Williams, or Independent or whatever, um, but a place where folks can go, enter their zip code, but it's kind of a national site, and that's worked real well for us because sometimes that adds credibility to it if, there's a, if they see a whole bunch of other people doing it too. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You know, buddy, I just have one other thought here on this guaranteed sell program. You're offering it, you're marketing, and the seller calls up. Not that many of them are actually take you up on the program once they get all the details. How do you make sure you still get the listing appointment? Well, we don't go through the details. I mean, we just tell them the truth. We don't go all into it. There's no way we can give you all the details of the guaranteed sell over the telephone. We'll be happy to meet with you at your house or in our office and go through the entire program, but we need to see your house. We need to understand the situation before we can go into details on it. And, you know, truthfully, we did that because what will happen is we, you'll fumble around trying to explain it to somebody because it, it, you've got to really sit down and look at it on their house and show the numbers on their house for them to truly comprehend it and their situation. I mean, we can, you, can, you can hypothetically make up numbers, but until you really put the numbers down on their house, I don't think they understand it. You're advertising that through the radio Let's talk about radio for a minute. How many radio stations are you advertising on? We're running it on three, and um, one thing that uh, Matt does is they set up uh, celebrity endorsements. We've had uh, Dave Ramsey. We've got Glenn Beck. We've got, in our area, a guy named John Boy and Billy. I mean, uh, Bob and Sherry, just, you know, local, either local, national, or regional uh, personalities that do an endorsement ad for us. What does that mean, an endorsement ad? where it basically says, hey, this is Glenn Beck. If you're thinking about selling your house, call the guy that guarantees to sell your house, Buddy Blake in Wilmington. Are you on those ads? Are you talking, or is it just the celebrity talking? A little of both. Usually we create an intro and an outro where basically it's a donut, and uh, they'll say, hey, what's going on in Wilmington today, Buddy? And they'll have talked about the guaranteed sale at the beginning, and then I'll come in and talk about something, you know, some kind of, interesting information about what's going on in our marketplace and then they'll say well call buddy you know at x x number for the guaranteed sale you know and go to buddyblake.com the celebrities doing the intro and the outro and you're filling in the middle that's correct are you doing the same middle all the time how often do you rotate that message you have in the middle uh you know this funny um not enough <laughs> because i need to create more messages but the funny thing is sometimes i, I believe that Agents or just advertisers in general change the message too quickly because they get tired of it. You know, I think the rule of thumb is when people start whining about they're tired of hearing the same ad, is it, it, then you're just getting into the groove. So you said you're going out on three stations. How many times are they being played? Typically what Matt does is he does all the purchases for us because he's, he's able to get it at a discount, which is nice. And plus, I don't know the radio business. I've tried buying radio on my own, and I just don't know it because my natural instinct is to buy the cheapest stuff, and that's not necessarily where you want to be. But his strategy is usually Monday through Friday drive time in the morning. And even if it costs a lot more, but at least you're there one or two times a day on each station. 
and because that's when the bulk of the people are listening, and that's when the bulk of people that are going to work are going to listen. Because if you know, typically if people don't work, they don't have a house, so you don't really hit them, and they're sleeping in the morning. What kind of radio stations are these? Are, are they talk radio? Are they music? We're running, and I think that it, it's different for each area, but for our area, what's worked real well is we've got a country station, and then we've got a talk radio, an AM station, which is the Glen Beck, and then we've got another that's more of a general kind of pop, top 40 type. Do you track those individually? Do you know which one is producing best? We don't. Uh, I couldn't tell you which one because with radio, it's kind of funny because a lot of times, until you get into a deep conversation, you won't even know it came from the radio because a lot of times the radio drives them to the website, and then if you initially ask them, how would you hear about us? They said, I was just on your website. But then when you get to their house and talk to them, they're like, oh, yeah, I heard your ad, and I went to your website. And they don't remember what channel typically they were listening to. When the radio ad is being played, are you trying to drive them to a phone number or the website? Both. We drive them to a phone number, and we get, I would say, in our little world, probably five to ten calls a week that call in that say, I want to talk to you about guaranteed sale or selling my house. I heard your ad on the radio. And then we drive them to the website, too. And we push heavy. Hear all about it on a video. Go to Buddy, you know, blah, blah, blah. Go to BuddyBlake.com and look at every how it works, how we sell more homes than, other, than everybody else in town. Do you have a, a special phone line for those calls or a special phone number for the tracking? We do. Uh, and it, It's called it's 395-1000, and it comes in to our listing coordinator. Is that unique just for these calls for the radio? It's unique just for the calls on the radio and then any other seller-type marketing that we might do. If we were to do a, a just listed or just sold, which we don't do, but any of those type things, or, or, for instance, when we send out an SOI, uh, Sphere of Influence newsletter, we always put that number because typically we're really going after listings, not buyers, in, in all of our marketing. I mean, all of our marketing, it may look like we're going after buyers, but obviously we're really going after listings. Yeah, I was just wondering if you had broken out an individual number just for the radio so you could track it, and then my follow-up then would also be on the website. Are you directing them to a specific domain that you're only using for the radio ads, or is it more of a generic domain that you're using for everything else as well? No, I'm not. We're not, we're not dividing it down. We keep it real simple so that all of our messages is buddyblake.com. It's easy to remember. I just like to keep it easy. I'm sure that it, I'm sure that somebody smarter would do it better and and have it track better. But at the end of the day, I just like things simple. It's working. You're advertising on the radio. What kind of results are you getting from these radio ads? Do you, have you been able to track you know, how much business is coming in or, or put a, any kind of number on it? First off, when we first started, the first couple of years we tracked it. But over the last three or four years, or two or three years, we have not tracked it so much because it's such a huge part of it. But I know that the first two years we tracked it, and I think we generated about $280,000 in commissions in two years off of our radio marketing. That was what we were able to put our finger on. And, of course, there's a lot of it you can't put your finger on because they don't say, I heard it on the radio, but even though they did. How much is it costing you to put these ads out there? My radio budget's around $2,500 a month. Oh, wow, that's not bad at all. No, now I mean we're in a pretty small market. Our market's a hundred to two hundred thousand people. I mean, obviously, if you're in a large marketplace or a big metro, it's going to cost you a lot more. But also, you're going to be appealing to more masses too, so it should scale out. I think most people would be willing to invest, say, thirty thousand a year to bring in maybe a hundred and forty. That sounds like a pretty good trade-off. 
Well, you would think so, Mike, but, uh, 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 you know, all realtors are not necessarily great business people, as we know. And it's a bit of a capital investment, but you've been able to do that. I assume you started smaller, maybe on one station and built up? We started on two stations out of the gate, uh, and we've been spending about the same amount of money over the course of it. Uh, now, we've brought in some, sometimes we'll have builders that will run promotions, and that'll be in addition to it, uh, and that we'll tack them in, but they pay for the for the money and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, we use radio with our new home sites sometimes when if we've got a pressing issue. It's like, for instance, now, uh, a lot of people don't realize it, but first-time homebuyer money, which is USDA loans, it's going away in October nationally in 900 marketplaces, and we're one of them. So we're hammering the airwaves right now for our builders saying, if you're going to buy a new home right now and you want to do the first-time homebuyer 100% loan, you better do it before October or you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, I think you sent me a sample of that ad. It sounded really good. Yeah, so that's, I mean, we really hammer on, and sometimes it doesn't help us because they end up buying something else, but the bottom line is we're really, you know, we really want to be the expert in the in, informant, even if we don't get the business on the short term. We really, really are playing long on this stuff. And you're building up your goodwill in the community. Right, exactly. Anything else you think that the listeners should know about advertising on the radio? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's a, it, I, I will tell you this, don't do it yourself. Even if you think you can, don't do it. Because I tried it, and I ruined it, and I just absolutely botched it up. You know, get somebody. If it's not Matt, get somebody that, that's all they do. Just like when you tell a seller to let them sell your, let you sell their house, let a radio person do this. That's because of all of it, right? They do the radio, the purchases. They know where to put the ad, and I assume they also have scripting for you. So you, you're saying something that works. Exactly. They send the scripts over. They tell you how to say it. They line up the personalities. They, you know, they also, you know, most of them, like Matt, has a tremendous mastermind group. So you get to share information, you know, privately that other people are doing around the country. And see what's working. Exactly. What is the best message that you have that you're putting out there on the radio right now? Is it the guaranteed sale program or something else? The guaranteed sale, period. It's always been. It's the one we've always tried to figure out a buyer hook to create to get people to call off the radio, but we've never found one. The guaranteed sale for sellers is by far the best hook I've ever seen or unique selling proposition in, uh, in radio or in anything, actually. It makes people look and listen. Gets their attention. Yeah, they assume there's all these strings attached, but when we bring them in, like, just like this, I mean, it's just a price you may not like. Right? At the end of the day, I mean, every we'll buy just like a car. I'll buy, you know, I'll buy somebody's car at a certain price. You may not like it, but it might fit you. Well, it's a safety net. Exactly. It's a worst case scenario, right? Yep. And it's better than sitting there on the house and not having it sold. Yeah, exactly. Buddy, I I think you mentioned to me that you wrote a book. Could you tell us about that? Well, um, I co-wrote a book, if you will, and actually uh, Wexford House Books. Jennifer there, Jennifer Ferris, actually did the bulk of the writing, writing. I'm not a writer, but she asked me questions, and then they did a bunch of research with me, and we put one out in 2011. It's called The Wilmington uh, Relocation and uh, Real Estate Guide. It's about almost 400 pages, but it really it breaks down a tremendous amount of information in our area. Quite honestly, I learned a lot of stuff from it, from just going through the process. It took about six months to do it. And then what we did is we interviewed eight people who in the last year moved from another part of the country 
and shared their experience, good, bad, and the ugly, you know, what was it like moving from Wayne, New Jersey? What was it like moving from Santa Barbara, California? Tell me the good, the bad, and the things you like about the move, the things you didn't like, you wish you'd have done different, and suggestions you'd make for others. Uh, all the way down to, you know, what's your favorite restaurant you found? And you would really be surprised the amount of people that love to get that information. So we did it in 2011 and redid it, recovered it in 2012, and we're going to do it again in 2013. But that's been real nice because it's on Amazon. It's a Kindle version. We've sold, I, think, I think Amazon sold about 600 of them, but we've, there's about 5,000 of them that's been out in publication now. Uh, a lot of them we give away. Uh, or people will buy from you know various bookstores because they're at Barnes and Nobles and at various bookstores also, because that's what the publisher does. They put them in the bookstores. But it really gives you credence, if you will, because if we get a listing call, you know what we do is we'll automatically uh, our pre-listing package is our relocation book with a business card, and it goes out before we go to the house. Because if you send if I send a book out to your house. And it's got my name on it. I'm the author, and I wrote it and all this. And everybody else sends you a flimsy CMA or whatever. Which one are you going to think about? Instant credibility. Yep. I assume that you purchased a bunch of hard copies or, or maybe paperback. And like you said, you're distributing those to your, your leads, your listing leads, your listing appointments. Do you, did you send that out to your sphere of influence? No, we didn't send them out. I mean, it just gets a little cost prohibitive to sphere of influence. But what we do is we send out... In all of our drips and all of our messages, we, we ask them, would you, you know, are you in, if you're moving to Wilmington, would you like a copy of this? You can buy it online, or if you're a customer of ours, we'll be happy to send you one for free. And then it goes to an order blank that we created on our website where it says, I want to buy it for X amount, or I'm a customer, I would like one to be mailed to me for free. So it's kind of a soft conversion into getting some type of commitment. Are you giving that away free to leads? We'll give it away to anybody that asks for it. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 as far as I'm concerned, it's, it, you know, it's a really nice published book. They're not going to throw it away. So it's going to end up, you never know where it's going to end up. I mean, we've had people, I mean, we've got a REMAX office that I own, and we've got 40 other agents in there other than my team. And I have customers walk in the door, drive in town, working with other agents in our company, walk in with my book. I'm okay with that. I mean, I didn't get the sale, but it helped them, which I'm okay with. In my mind, I was thinking about lead conversion. Do you offer it somewhere on the Internet and in exchange for, say, a name and an email address, you'll send an electronic version? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I have it on there. I have it on there where you can go and you can order it or they can click and get the electronic version, but they have to give me their name, their address, and phone number and things like that. And then we also use it in our various, you know, online in our websites with our drip campaigns. We use that as one of the emails that goes out. Would you like one of these? How much of your business is relocation? I would say half of, well, two-thirds of our buyer business is people moving into our area. So it's a big piece. Yeah. That's the weakest part of our business that we're working on improving. We've not done as good a job on the buyer side as we should have. And the conversion, our conversion is not, I mean, and I'll, be, I'll just admit it, I mean, our conversion is not what it should be. Well, you've opened that door, and now I'm curious, what kind of conversion do you have on your buyer side that, that you're not happy with, and where do you want it to go? Where is it now? Where do you want it to be? Well, I want it to be 40 to 50% of my overall business, and as it used to be years ago, but right now it's only about 25%. And a lot of the reason is because I haven't focused on it. I've been really focused heavily on you know the listing side, the new homes, and also 
the other thing that's kind of kind of binded me up for a little bit for the last two years is we opened our own office, and that you know you take your eye off the ball and whatever you concentrate on you'll do well. And I just have not given the proper attention, training, or just um, manpower to the buyer side, which I'm ramping up now. We actually hired a coach to. And that's going well to get ourselves back in gear, scripts, dialogues, practice, and just really focusing hard on prospecting. Why do you want to increase the buyer side? Don't most top agents focus on the listing side? Well, we're still focused on the listing side. I mean, we've got that going pretty well. But we want to focus on the buyer side because over the next three to five years, I see a tremendous amount of migration to our area from buyers. And um, there's just a good opportunity. I mean, we're generating on my buddyblake.com site, over a 1,000 leads a month, buyer leads. And that's with no pay-per-click or, you know, or any kind of that. That's just organic and Craigslist postings. Tell us about how you're doing that. You said organic and Craigslist. What does that mean? How are you getting these people to come to your site? They just find it. Uh, I mean, we've, been, we've got two websites. One of them is a Boomtown site uh, that we use for our brokerage it's, uh, that our agents at Remax use. And that does a great job because it's got a Craigslist integration in it where, where basically all the all of your company's listings comes through the IDX, through the automatic feed from the MLS, and you post it, and it forces them back to a page where that house is where they can register if they want. And that generates our company sites generating around six or 800 leads a month purely from, from um, Craigslist. But now my team, I've been using a real estate webmaster site for probably eight years. And we've been upgrading it continuously, but that thing is just, we stay on page one of Google and Yahoo all the time. We're not at the top, but we stay in the middle and uh, just for all the major terms. And it's just done real well organically from the search engines. And also they've released a Craigslist poster uh, recently, which is driving a lot of business there. Okay. It sounds like you farmed this out. You farmed out your organic or your SEO to you say real estate webmasters? Yeah, we didn't. Uh, early on, we hired them to do the SEO, and it was expensive at the at the beginning. But once they kind of set it up, it we really don't do anything other than change the content pages. You know, change the words on the front page that we do internally, and we really don't we don't have any maintenance on it at all. So there's, I mean, they provide the service, but we there is no maintenance. We don't pay them anything. We haven't paid them in years. So they got it set up for you, up and running, and it's just been paying dividends year after year. Well, and it's also, keep in mind, we were one of the first in our area to have a website, so it's been out there for a long time. So that's another nice advantage. I mean, if you were just starting a website now, climbing the ranks is very difficult. But if you've got a lot of history and a lot of age and a lot of changes and a lot of modifications like we've got on ours, it really, really helps. You mentioned that Boomtown is generating leads for the firm I guess we should mention right here that you have some ownership position in your brokerage. Is that correct? Yeah, I own the brokerage. Uh, we were with another firm for 12 years, and then uh, about two years ago, a little over two years ago, we I decided to move out on our own and do our own thing. And there was an opportunity to buy a Remax franchise here, and so I did. And so we own the brokerage. I still have my team, but we also have a brokerage that we run. And now we bought an office building and now we actually just opened a few months ago a second location in Topsail Beach, which is about 45 minutes north of us. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. How many 
brokers are in your office that are not on your team. How many other agents? Approximately 40. Yeah, so you're wearing a couple of hats. We are, but our model, uh, we really have a pretty intensive model, kind of the true REMAX model that a lot of REMAX folks got away from. We really, they pay their fair share, so we're only dealing with agents that are doing $3 million a year or more because otherwise it doesn't make sense for them to be at our company. So we really don't have a heavy intensive management. I mean, these are people that are making it, if you will. You know, they understand it. They've been there. We don't have new agents because we're not set up for new agents. We don't have new agent training and all that kind of stuff. These are all self-reliant agents. They know how to generate business. These are agents that just want to have a nice place to work, a good culture, a good environment, and stay out of their way and, let, and keep 95% of their money and let them rock and roll. So now that we've established that you are the owner of the firm, the brokerage, you have these multiple hats. And on your internet marketing, you've got the boomtown for the company and then the real estate webmasters or the SEO for your own. Why have you not added, say, Boomtown to your own personal leads as well? Well, we had Boomtown uh, for my team before uh, we did the, bro- the brokerage, if you will. And what happened was between the two sites, we were generating way more leads than we could handle. And plus, it was an awesome opportunity for me to open it up to other agents so they could take the whole lead generation internet thing off their plate and we provide it for them they pay a flat fee per month to be in it uh, a small flat fee no referral fees or anything like that but it really gives it's a good tool for us to for our firm from a recruiting standpoint from a uh, just from a helping agents grow their business and get that off their plate so that they're not trying to spend all their time doing that versus working with customers and having this, the other thing is when the other thing is having an agent, like when we had both sites, an agent trying to run two back ends and keep up with two back ends is very difficult. And so to, to help you with all the, the things you're trying to do, you actually have a team to help you. You're not doing this all by yourself, correct? No, I have a team. Um, I don't draw a salary from my company. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, in 15 years, I'll have a building that's paid for. And we all get to share the cost, which dilutes my cost just like it does everybody else's. So I make my personal income through my team, just as I always have. And let's talk about that team. You have 13 team members. Could could you just run down a quick list and tell us the titles of the people on your team, how many people are in each position, and how you compensate them? Yeah, we've got uh, we've got six buyer agents and uh, we compensate them. It depends typically uh, on a 40, 45, and 50 standpoint. What that means is each month it starts over. They make 40% the first closing that month, 45% the second closing, and 50 from the third on, and that starts over each month. Uh, listing agents, uh, I've got one listing agent. He's been with me for about eight years, and he, and, um, he's, he gets 40%, which I know a lot of agents tell me I pay way too much, but to have the quality of this guy, it's worth it to me because uh, I don't have to touch anything. I don't do listings. He does them all. And then we have three new home agents. These are on-site agents that sit at three different neighborhoods uh, right now, and they work full-time on-site, but they also train and come in for huddles and work with us and uh, do our coaching together. Then we have uh, three total staff people. Uh, for our team, one staff person is our listing coordinator, Brittany. She works with Chris. Her job is to fill his calendar up and to make sure that the sellers are getting the feedback they're supposed to get. That's her entire job. 
Uh, and then we have an admin slash data entry person that does the MLS entry and just kind of does all the busy work that needs to be done at the office. And then I have a new homes manager that's been with me. He oversees and uh, runs, coordinates, staffs, and everything, all of our new home sites, handles all the marketing and everything. Buddy, what do you do? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> I talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> now, I run around. I mean, really what I've found is, I mean, I actually don't even have an office anymore because uh, what I found was I would, if I had an office, I'd go park in there and just kind of shut the door and separate myself. So we have a number of uh, public areas. We call we have one that's called the living room, one that's called the den, and one that's called the study. And what I do is I I drop down on my laptop in any of those areas, so I make myself very available to not just my team but our other agents. And you know I work the front desk if needed. I mean I I do whatever I need to do. But I'm meeting with builders a lot, developers, bankers, and things like that. And now I'm focusing a lot more. I'm spending a lot of time with our buyer agent core. Because uh, I really want to get them up to the point where they're making enough sales, where they're making really good money. I'd like to have the most uh, income-earning buyer agents in our market, and I want to help them get there. And I think I've done a poor job of that for me and for them. You mentioned you you brought in a coach to help. Tell us more about the coach that you brought in for your buyer agents. Yeah, what we did is um, I reached out to Dirk Zeller with Real Estate Champions because he's got a really kind of a unique package where it's an online, where you're all online, you see each other, you're on a, you have a common whiteboard, you do everything, you role play, you script and dialogue with him every single week for about two hours. And that has been really good. If nothing else, just getting folks to really concentrate on it. And I've kind of, that is really, quietly, it's kind of helped me get reinvigorated because I'm on there with them listening in and participating, but it's really kind of helped me and trained me the basics that I kind of got away from, you know, years ago. And I'm really, really focusing hard now on that. But that's a six-month course uh, that we invested in for our buyer agents, and we're about two months into it, and um, we've been very pleased. It's very affordable. It's very, you know, it's a very good program. Are you seeing a uptick now in buyer appointments or buyer conversions? Is anything come out of that yet? Yes. Uh, contracts and appointments are significantly up, and actually outbound dials is way up because, again, we were not really pushing it, focusing on it, watching it, and now somebody is doing that. Even if I drop the ball, which I tend to do, um, even if I drop the ball, somebody's there every week on their back, if you will, watching over their shoulder. Well, I assume that's got to invigorate the troops. The buyer agents have to feel good that they're getting some training and some attention and, and feeling good about their future, right? Well, I would say the bulk of them are. You're always going to have some folks that will take it and run with it, and you're going to have some folks that will kind of fight it. So we're kind of working through that, and uh, hopefully everybody will come around. But the ones that have embraced it and really have the proper attitude are, you know, Three of them are, you know, are doing three to four contracts a month now, whereas they were doing one to two. Are all the people on your team licensed? Yes, everybody. Uh, that's not true. Wait a minute. That's not true. Other than the one admin person that's the MLS entry, she's not. But everybody else is. When you're going out to find buyer agents or listing agent, uh, do you have a preference picking an experienced agent versus a new agent? Yeah, I've, I've vacillated over the years on that. But right now, my position is I would rather have somebody that has 
when I say experience, I don't want to have to teach them how to write a contract, the basics of the contract process and, you know, what real estate is. I want them to understand the process. I don't want to train that. I don't mind training them how to be prolific on sales and how to talk and prospect and, you know, handle the leads that we generate. I, I love doing that. I'd like to train them from fresh on that, but I don't like training them how to do the basics of, um, you know, of how to fill a contract out. So we really like people that's been in it for a year or two, you know, that just haven't really done as much as they want to do because they've shown houses, they have some experience of how the process works and how the flow goes, but then we can ramp them up and get them in front of a whole lot of people and talking to a whole lot of people quickly. Buddy, you have a lot going on. You're in a lot of different parts of the business. You have revenues coming in, but you also have all these people and all these expenses going out. Is your team profitable? Oh, yes, absolutely. We're more profitable than we were in our biggest year now. Well, I mean, there was a lot of angles there. I mean, first off, we've downsized because we were bigger at one time as far as staff. And then the other thing is, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know any other way around it, but I'm keeping a lot more of my money now from a split standpoint now that, you know, we're getting 95% versus where we were. Do you mean as far as the relationship you have with your brokerage? Yes. I mean, yeah, exactly. In other words, I mean, it's just a different animal that we're in now. Nothing against it, but we're, we're in a different animal now. So more of that gross revenue is coming into the operation. And you also then said that you've reduced staff or the team size a little bit. So less money is flowing out, but you're still doing the same amount of volume. And so that's why your profit's going up. If you were to try to help somebody that's trying to put together a business plan, would you mind disclosing to them what your profit margin is as a percentage of your gross? As a percentage of gross? It will probably be around, I would say, around 40% this year. But now it was as low, I'll give you this, this is the sad thing. In 07, it was probably less than 20%. At least it didn't go negative, yeah? Yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, the other thing is we don't do some of the things we used to do. We used to spend a tremendous amount of uh, ego advertising, you know, uh, papers, magazines, uh, a lot of mailings and stuff like this, and we really got away from the ego advertising that really did not generate uh, realistic returns. And so when you say that is the majority of your advertising now, what would be known as unbranded or stealth, where you're just trying to generate a lead as opposed to promoting yourself? Well, the radio certainly is branded, but it's really generating a lead. But we're branding guaranteed sale more than we are me. But the bottom line, it's we do certainly put our name on it, but all we do now is radio and Internet. That's it. And invest in websites. We do a lot of e-marketing. We've got about 40,000 people on our database that we've accumulated over the years that have inquired about properties, et cetera. So we're pumping out a Monday morning coffee to them once a week. And we also send out other things that we do, you know, luncheons or different specials that we're running. We'll let them know. You've mentioned the Monday morning coffee Tell us more about it. Well, basically, it's just an email that goes out. Uh, and I didn't create this. I just pretty much copied somebody else years and years ago. Uh, it's an email that goes out. It's got a little bit of information, a video where I'll talk about, you know, here's what's going on in our market, blah, blah, blah. And then it'll have a few links on it to area stuff. And then there's always just a nice message on there, kind of a, like a kitchen soup type thing. 
it goes out to everybody that ever registers on anything that we do, our team. And we basically import all the leads that come in over each week into our email distribution system, which is bombbomb.com. And we send that out to everybody that's in our list until they take themselves off. And you've built up a list of 40,000. It sounds like you're sending a weekly newsletter. It sounds like it's an electronic newsletter. Does that sound correct? It is, with a video embedded. That's correct. Are you dripping or sending out any other emails to these 40,000 people, or is it just specifically the Monday morning coffee? Yeah, we have an 18-month drip campaign that goes out through our website to anybody, any new buyer that registers on the website. And, of course, they can unsubscribe at any time. But it's basically a series of random questions and trial closes, you know, via email, trying to get them to raise their hand as to when they're ready. Just, you know, whenever somebody's timing is right, you just, you got to kind of be in front of them, as you know, whenever that, whatever happens in their life that gives them, puts them in a position that they can make a move. Are the majority of these 40,000 leads buyer or seller leads? Buyer, by far buyer. Do you put seller leads into a different system? Nope. We put them all, well, we put them all in the system. Now, we set all of our seller inquiries up for, uh, we have an e-alert system that goes out where it sends them what's come on the market, what is pending, and what is sold. Anything that happens, it goes out each day to them on their neighborhood. So it's just like an information, you know, hey, here's what's going on in your neighborhood recently. So it's a little neighborhood report. Exactly. And that just goes out whenever there's new activity or if there's a price change of a house in their neighborhood. And it goes out until they take themselves off. Did you set that up through your MLS or did you have an outside company doing that for the sellers? It's built into our site with Real Estate Webmasters. Of these 40,000 buyer leads, how many, what percentage or how many convert each month into wanting to do something or contacting you or taking the next step? We probably get, I would say, eight to ten a month that actually do something, whether it's buy, sell, or refer, send us a referral or something like that, eight to ten a month that respond off of it. Now, we get a lot of emails where they'll, come, they'll send back and give us their life history and, you know, we can't do it now, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we get hundreds of those back every week every time we send it out. But I would say eight to ten that a- actually do something physically face-to-face. How much is it costing you to stay in front of those 40,000 leads? I pay BombBomb 250 a month, and that handles up to 50,000 leads. It's a lot cheaper than direct mail, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to build up the 40,000 leads? Ever since I started doing web stuff, I've always just been a big believer in you know your database is your most important thing. So I would say eight years since we've been doing electronic stuff, eight or nine years. I mean, it's obviously growing at a much more exponential pace now because we're generating more leads than we ever have. So, I mean, we'll be at 50,000, I'm sure, by middle of next year. And when people receive these, they have an option to opt out or unsubscribe, so they're cleaning themselves out of the list. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, some of them, instead of doing that, will send you an email back with some hate messages. I don't know why they don't just click the unsubscribe. But that happens. Yeah, some people just like to be cantankerous. Let's go to time management. How do you keep control of your time? I use a schedule. My uh, Brittany, who is the listing coordinator, is actually kind of works as my partner and keeps up my schedule for me. 
But uh, I, I just use a scheduler on my iPhone, and uh, as far as technically how I do it, and I have certain meetings I have to be to each month. I mean, each week, and I really time block around those. I have a uh, prospecting time each week with our buyer agents that I spend two hours with every Wednesday. I have a team training that we do with Dirk every Thursday. Uh, I have a two different builder meetings, one on Tuesday and one on Wednesday that I do. Every, and it's a two-hour block, and uh, and then we. As a company, we offer huddles every morning at 9 o'clock a.m., so that's a 30-minute block. So, I mean, really, my time is pretty blocked out, and my goal, I think the highest and best use of my time is just simply being around and working on the culture, our staff, my team agents, and the other company agents, just being accessible and being out there and them seeing me in the trenches, I really think is the best use of my time. How many hours do you think you're working in a typical week? If you ask me and ask my wife, that would be two different answers. I mean, I would say pro- I would say probably 30 to 50 at the office, physically in the office, but then, you know, including time spent at night and on weekends working on videos because I have a studio at home that I do all my videos with a green screen with. We do all that here. Um, I'd probably say 70 to 100 hours a week. But a lot of that's just because I like doing it. It's, it's not really work. It's fun. Because I like, I like doing the techie and geeky stuff. Buddy, what drives you? I would say my family, uh, my faith, and uh, just, I don't, uh, and then maybe ADD. <laughs> I just get bored easily, and I just, you know, I just have to always be trying something new. I, that's my, I'm not scared to fail, let's put it that way. And I think that came from my father instilled that with me as he was an entrepreneur and growing his own business. And until you've done that, you really don't know what it's like to take the risk and put it all out there. Buddy, why have you been successful? I think just not giving up, uh, not being scared of change, uh, not being scared of going outside the box, and I think just good old-fashioned working hard. You know, not, I've never been one that had, that believed in a whole lot of management, so there's really never been layers. I mean, I've always been involved. I mean, I'll go on a listing appointment, I'll meet with a, I don't care, I'll meet with anybody. You know, I've never gotten outside the business, if you will. I'm still, I still like to think I can hang with anybody in my office on any type of appointment if, I, if needed. And I will say this, too, I've been very involved with various masterminds, uh, various trainings, various conferences. I'm pretty always been involved with the different things that are out there in our industry so you learn a lot of things and you pick up a lot of ideas and a lot of it's just doing a good job of copying and taking what somebody else has done and implementing it and adding something to it taking something away i think that's and then the other side is i've been really really fortunate to have i've got some people that have been with me for a long time that just have really made me look good because so, I'm not an organized person, I'm not an analytical person, um, I'm tremendously scatterbrained, but I've got some incredible people that have been with me for a long time, and uh, there's no way I could do what I do without them. Buddy, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Get on a successful team, wherever that is. Find out who's got the most aggressive team out there, who generates the most leads, and get out there and get yourself in the flow of leads, Period learn how to interact with the customer. And you can't do that with theoretical training sitting in a classroom.
Do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing right now are valuable? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was I was an avid uh, watcher and participating person and had the great fortune of working with Star Power. And for years and years and years, I mean, I can't I can't begin to tell you what I've learned over the years from listening to other people with a tremendous amount of organizations. And, um, I mean, it's it just, if you don't do it, you don't take your business seriously. But is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Just go back to the new agent. The other thing I would say, you asked me what I would do, and then the other thing is what would I not do? Be very careful buying uh, the silver bullet systems that are out there. Uh, I see a lot of agents get into business and they subscribe to various products and uh, programs and they end up spending all their money and time and energy doing those things and not doing the face-to-face, picking up the phone and all those things with potential clients. I see that every single day. Everybody's looking for the shortcut versus doing the grunt work of prospecting, talking to people. I mean, they'll send an email instead of making a phone call. Uh, I mean, those things, uh, that, is going to be the, that is going to be the disaster of our industry if we don't stop it. I had someone tell me early on, you need to get belly to belly. That's exactly right. Belly to belly, face to face, and smell their breath. Buddy, to wrap this up, where do you see the industry going over the next few years? I see large teams uh, dominating and eventually, if not now, but in the future, converting over to companies. Because teams do what companies used to do, which is lead generate. You know, 20 years ago, the companies would bring you in on a 50% split, but also provide you the leads. Companies don't, as a rule, unless you pay an extra fee or uh, referral fee, they do not generate leads for their agents anymore, but still want to put them at a lower split. So I, th- I think you're going to see a migration of teams, which you're seeing, convert over to either owning their own independent or buying various franchises. And I think you're going to see some of the large dinosaurs fall out of the picture. Well, buddy, you shared awesome tips, ideas, and advice. Your ability to take risk, be entrepreneurial, adapt to changes, and stay inquisitive have served you well. You've built an asset that pays dividends by focusing on lead generation and database management. You switched from ego-based advertising to consumer benefit ads. Now you're more profitable as a result. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who generates 65% of his business from sphere of influence, past clients, and referrals and sold 274 homes last year. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, 
check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.